Hello, my darlings, and welcome back to Radio Wasteland, uh, your favorite paranormal show. And I am your host, Chauncey. Normally, I have my sidekick here, Sean, but uh, he has claimed to have Lyme disease. I am not entirely sure if he really has Lyme disease or if this was just the most whacked out thing his feverish brain could come up with because... A couple weeks ago, I was talking about being sick and that uh, some sort of illness resembling uh, food poisoning was going around. So I'm guessing that this is what he has, but I don't know. Maybe he has Lyme disease. I don't know. Uh, So filling in for uh, Sean tonight is our producer, Jared. Well, hello. Hello, Jared. And Jared, I see you got your ears lowered. Um. I'm not sure what that means. It means you got a haircut. Ah, yes, I did. I used to have very long hair, and now yeah. I have very short hair. Now you're all pretty. I know, right? Totally. Is it so that you can get some ladies? That might have something to do with it. <laughs> it tends to be. It tends to be, you know. It, frankly, if, if we lived in a world without um, the possibility of dating, I would probably just be a totally just disgusting human being. <laughs> um <clears throat> so marriage for the past 14 years has done has done a lot for my uh cleanliness routine I guess. Uh so I had an interesting uh weekend this weekend I went to the Sikh festival in Anderson. For those of you who don't know uh we come out of Redding, California. We're on a station uh KCNR AM 1460. And uh, just south of Reading, there's a town called Anderson, and it's a small town, uh, pretty much a farming town. And uh, they have a remarkably large, for being a population of, I want to say about 10,000, they have a remarkably large Sikh population, which is um, very odd for here in Northern California. A lot of people think of California, and they think of um, very progressive, very packed, uh, you know, very diverse, but... um, Reading is is definitely um, not hugely populated, and so you know to have a large Sikh population in a town like Anderson is really interesting. And so going to this thing was really interesting. You know they're they're there, and you know they're they're trying to share that they're all about nonviolence and stuff like that. And it was really Im- impressive that the town all turns out, and they're giving away uh, free outfits for the ladies. My wife got a a cool um, Sikh dress, and they were giving away uh, turbans for the men, wrapping them up in turbans, and uh, the only reason why I didn't do it is because I hate hats, and I felt it would be horribly rude of me to pull that thing off my head in a fit of rage after five minutes. And uh, so the interesting part that pertains to this show is that I'm walking out and parked right at the front is this woman with a bunch of signs about geoengineering and chemtrails and all this stuff. And I think, oh, well, that's interesting. That's going on here locally. You know, I, I should get some contact information. And I go up there and I'm just all, uh, hey, do you, do you have any uh, contact information uh, that I can take with me? And she's all, oh, yeah, 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 here, uh, you know, and why do you want it? And I'm just all, well, I, I have a show here locally and she's just all, I know. And I'm just all, you know? <laughs> and she's just all, yeah, what's your name again? And I say Chauncey. And she says, Chauncey, yeah, I listen to your show every Monday. 
And uh, she said, you just had on Matt Landman, which we did, talking about geoengineering. And her name was Lori. And uh, so, if Lori, if you're out there, if you're listening, well, then thanks for listening. And I remember meeting you in the parking lot at the Seat Festival in Anderson. <clears throat> Aside from that, uh, my flavorful apocalypse is uh, coming along quite nicely. I harvested my parsley. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm like trying to slowly train myself to be a doomsday prepper, but I also like work constantly and like have next to no free time. So it's like I I grew an herb garden and I keep getting made fun of that the apocalypse is going to be very flavorful. So so on Mother's Day I trimmed down my parsley plant and made a bunch of pesto and uh made pasta. And I'm really actually quite proud of myself because Ever since my wife and I got married 14 years ago, every year I try to start a garden. And every year I make it about three weeks in until everything is just dried up and dead corpses. And really this is my most successful year, yet I have some serious herbage going on. That might have sounded weird, but when I say serious herbage, I mean like mint and rosemary and stuff, you know. Nothing cool. Nothing for you to brag about how cool your radio show host is. So, I don't know. So, uh, our guest tonight, uh, it's been a regular topic for us here for a while. We've been hitting quite a few UFOs, but um, our guest tonight is definitely an expert in the UFO field. We have the truth seeker of Roswell, Dennis, Balth- Dennis Balthazar. And so, uh, Dennis goes around and he gives tours of Roswell, and man, I would love to do this. I was talking... I don't know, a couple shows back to William Pullen, one of our guests, and uh, we were talking about Roswell, and they have a festival coming up, and I want to say June, and I wanted to go see him, but man, it's a 21-hour drive. That's like, you know, good gosh, 21 hours, that's a, that's a long drive, you know, and uh, that's a lot of money. You know, I, like a lot of you, work all day. I work about the equivalent of two full-time jobs. So taking 21 hours off in order to drive and indulge myself in the middle of the desert for Roswell seems probably a little bit excessive. But you're listening to Radio Wasteland, and coming up next is the truth seeker of Roswell, right here on Radio Wasteland. All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland, and we are here with our guest, Dennis Balthasar. Am I saying that correctly? Yes, right. All right. Sounds great. And you are the truth seeker of Roswell. You know, um, we have a friend of the show, uh, Dennis, who's, uh, I mean, uh, William Pullen, who's been on here, and, and he gave us a little quote about you, and he, he told me, I've always found Dennis to be an outstandingly honest researcher. Every time I run into him in Roswell, I thank him for his efforts. And thank you again, Dennis. It's like, uh, you know, that was that was a big deal for me because, uh, you know, William's been on the show several times, and I I find him uh, very sobering and and likable and educated on the topic. Well, I have a I have a quote I use on my website for editorials and lectures. Always telling the truth means never having to remember anything. Yeah, I guess that's true. That served me pretty well. Yeah, I I, I try to apply that to my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> 
Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, let's start off by talking about um, Roswell a little bit. And, you know, how did you get started? Um, everybody's got their own different stories about what really got them involved in this. How did you get started in this? Well, back in the 80s, I'd lay in the backyard, look out in the night sky and wonder what was out there. And then in the mid-80s, I started hearing a little bit about Roswell. And the first books came out in the mid-80s, and I bought a book, bought another book, and today I probably have four or five hundred books. And the more I read, the more I realized there's more to this Roswell incident than a weather balloon. And that kind of got me started. My background is civil engineering. I had 33 years with the Texas Highway Department doing QC, QA inspection for the state. So I've got a background that's fairly creditable. And then uh, I retired in 1996, been retired 22 years, and I moved to Roswell to continue my engineering work and did that for about six months. And then I started volunteering at the UFO Museum. I was there every day, open and close the doors. And I did that for about two and a half years. That's where I met some of the first-hand witnesses that were here in 47 and started working with Stanton Friedman, the original researcher on Roswell. Been working with Stanton for 21 years, and uh, a couple of years ago, I uh, I was doing lectures and I was writing editorials and things like that. And about four years ago, I got to by a guy in Oregon that does World War II tours to Europe. Heard about my research, wanted to know if I'd be interested in doing tours on Roswell because he had a lot of interest in it. So about four years ago, I started doing these tours, thinking I'd do two or three a month. I wound up, I'm doing two a day, five days a week, and uh, the rest is kind of history. Well, i got to say, that doesn't sound like a bunch of a retirement. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> <laughs> that keeps me active, though. Yeah. So, you know, what is it about Roswell that, you know, because there are a lot of other sightings, a lot of other uh, evidence out there, you know, um, sightings with lots of people. Um, you know, Rendlesham Forest, there's lots of them out there. You know, what is it about Roswell that really has this staying power, this longevity? Well, that... the thing about Roswell is they went public. All the other crashes you hear about, Rendlesham Forest, Brazil, Kingman, Arizona, Aztec, New Mexico, the oldest one I ever heard about was in Aurora, Texas in 1895. But they deny all those. The Roswell incident, they went public. And they made a big mistake by going public because 70 years later, they're still trying to explain it and lie about it. We've been given four excuses by the Air Force over the last 70 years. The first report was written by Walter Hart on the orders of the base commander at the base out here, and that said we had a flying saucer in our possession. The next day, General Ramey put out an article on the front page of all the newspapers saying it was nothing but a weather balloon. Now, if it was a weather balloon, why would it make all the newspapers? Because that is of no interest to the public. That's what pilots use to fly airplanes. They need weather balloons to get weather forecasts. And then in 1974, they came out with this excuse saying it was a mogul balloon, which was a high-altitude balloon used to check the, to have the Russians to check to see if they were doing nuclear testing. The Russians didn't do nuclear testing until 1949, two years later. In 1997, two weeks before the 50th anniversary, the Air Force came out with a thick report saying they had never mentioned the bodies the witnesses talked about, 
and they said the bodies were anthropomorphic crash test dummies. The dummies were used in 1953, six years later. So it's just been one excuse after another for the last 70 years. It seems like that last excuse was them um, accidentally kind of acknowledging that they had something to do with the flight. I mean, if they're saying that it's crash test dummies, they're well, saying that it was a crash. if they're talking about bodies, weather balloons wouldn't have bodies. Right, yeah. So they had to change that story, and then they changed it to the, from the mogul balloon to the bodies. And I happened to get one of those crash test dummies for the UFO Museum in 1997 from the Space Museum down at White Sands. I put him in my pickup truck, strapped him in, put a Dallas cowboy hat on him. <laughs> Barred him up and got a lot of strange looks driving up here. When I got to the museum, he weighs 170 pounds. He's got steel inside him. I got him hung up in the museum. He looks nothing like what the witnesses talked about. Mm. So why do you think the confusion, you know, you're saying that they covered up all these other ones. Mm -hmm. Why do you think they accidentally, I assume accidentally, came out and said, hey, we got a flying saucer. What what would compel somebody in a military position to go public like that? That's an excellent question. <clears throat> we don't know if the orders to put that article out about having a crash flying saucer, we don't know where that came from. It came, could have come from Washington. It could have come from General Ramey at Carlsville Air Force Base in Fort Worth, who is in charge of Roswell. Or it could have come from uh, Colonel Blanchard, who is a base commander here at the base. And by the way, the guys that were involved with this, I need to tell you who the military was. That was the 509th Bomb Group. That was the same guys that dropped the atomic bombs on Japan and the Second World War. So it's kind of ironic that we would have the best military in the world here in Roswell when we had the UFO crash. Mm -hmm. I guess that... so. What is that, the Enola Gay? Is that the... The Enola Gay was actually in Roswell <laughs> after they dropped the bombs. I have a picture of the Enola Gay out here at the, the hangar, at one of the hangars at the airport. So from like a UFO um, conspiratorial angle, you know, the idea that, that uh, aliens or flying saucers or some sort of super advanced tech would be flying around in that area is really not all that shocking. Well, you got to stop and consider the atomic bomb was tested 100 miles from here at White Sands in 1945. Mm -hmm. So were they sitting out there looking in, wondering what are these clowns on earth up to? Yeah, well, they have been observing us. I don't think they're here to harm us in any way. They've had every opportunity and haven't done it. But I do think they're keeping an eye on us. Humans don't have a good track record. Ever since time began, we've been known as war people. Oh, yes. That, that's not a good record. So I think they're probably keeping an eye on us so that we don't self-destruct. Yeah, I don't know the stats behind it, but I do know that quite a few researchers have said that um, the statistics of UFO sightings around nuclear test places and um, military bases are much, much higher. They've been seen hovering over nuclear power plants in and out of the oceans. A couple of years ago, and again more recently, UFOs hovered over nine nuclear missile silos in Maelstrom Air Force Base in Montana and shut down the missile system. And when they left, the system came back online. So I really believe they're keeping an eye on us. I don't think they want us in their neighborhood with nuclear weapons or the attitude we have. Right, right. 
So have there been a lot of sightings in Roswell since then? No, no. There, I belong to a couple of lists on the Internet, and there's probably not a week goes by that there's not somewhere between 25 and 75 sightings somewhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Now, by sightings, 90% of those are explainable. Mm-hmm. They're either our own stuff or they're clouds or they're planets or balloons, whatever. It's a 10% we're interested in. But sightings, you have to be careful with because, and now with the Internet, you can take pictures and redo them. Uh, you got to be really careful on how you look at this now. Yeah, it seems like a lot of people are out there trying to trick people for viral marketing and yeah, for clicks yeah, and definitely. for money and Sure. You know, uh, we had a guest on here, Ryan Sprague, and we were talking about, you know, making money from this UFO thing. And Ryan was basically making the point, like, if your goal is to make money, this is probably not your field. <laughs> well, that's, that's true. <laughs> the first time in my 35 years of doing research, I'm making a little money by doing these tours, but I give people... A lot of information about the town of Roswell, because there's a lot here that people don't know about, in addition to the UFO event. We had a German prisoner of war camp here in the 1940s, 4,800 German prisoners. Oh. Most people know nothing about that. We got a couple statues from the Old West at downtown from uh, Pat Garrett, who shot Billy the Kid, and John Chisholm, the biggest cattleman of all times. So I gave a lot of history about the town also. Well, uh, we're coming up on our first commercial break here. When we come back, I'd like to talk to you more about the tour and find out really what that entails. You're listening to The Truth Seeker of Roswell, Dennis Balthazar, here on Radio Wasteland. Come on back. All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland and our guest, The Truth Seeker of Roswell, Dennis Balthazar. So, uh, Dennis, you know, I, I find the idea of of the tour of Roswell to be just like great fun. I, I would love to do this. So, you know, what, is, what does this tour entail? Well, you go to, to the uh, website, www.roswellufotours.com. That's all the information you need. Uh, one of the links is an availability calendar. And since I'm doing two a day, five days a week, people book way in advance. I've already started booking into November. I, I have a lot of dates open, but that's as far ahead that I'm booking right now. How many people are on each tour? Uh, four on the tour. I don't like buses. People are sleeping or talking, and I can't get them in the residential area, so I limit it to four people personally so I can do personal tours. If people have questions, I can answer them. Mm-hmm. I give them plenty of time to take pictures or, or ask questions. And there's about 20 different locations that we cover. The tour lasts about two to two and a half hours, depending how many questions they have and pictures they take. But uh, most people, I've been on TripAdvisor, something like 204 excellent reviews on TripAdvisor, which has really been humbling for me that the people are really enjoy it that much. Well, my day but, job is Internet marketing, and i got to tell you, that amount of good reviews we, on TripAdvisor uh, is nothing to scoff at. <laughs> We have several several museums in town for a little town. We have four or five museums. We go by each one of them. I hand out brochures for each of the museums so they can go by after the tour or before. I go by the Russell Daily Record newspaper, which broke the story. Uh, Robert Goddard was a pioneer of rockets. He was here in Roswell in the 1930s as a museum with his workshop recreated. 
German prisoners of war were here in the 1940s. They built an iron cross out of rock. And I show that and talk about how that developed. Go through the historical district of Roswell, show them some of the older houses that were here in the early 1900s. Several of the statues downtown, John Chisholm, the the, uh, Chisholm Trail, Big Cattleman, and Pat Garrett that shot, supposedly shot Billy the Kid. Go by former Sheriff Wilcox's office in county jail where the rancher came when he found the debris and got the military involved. Ballard Funeral Home is where the mortician Glenn Dennis worked in 1947 and was contacted by the military hospital asking for hermetically sealed children's coffins. We go out to the base. They go by Commander Colonel Blanchard's home, who was the base commander and head of the the atomic bomb group. The Army Airfield Fire Station, the Flight Operations Building, where some of the debris was loaded on airplanes by one of the witnesses I talked to. Hangar 84 is still there, as are several other hangars, and 84 is the one where they kept the bodies for a short time before most of it was shipped out to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And then the Chavez County Administration Center, which was the former St. Mary's Hospital, where two Catholic nuns saw something from the upstairs window one night and believed it was an uh, airplane on fire. But the thing about the tours is the fact that I knew some of these witnesses that were here in 1947. I had long conversations with several of them, so I've got insight that you don't get by reading a book or going to the museum and reading a, an affidavit or a testimony. I actually knew these guys. Right. I had long conversations with them. So it's a it's a well-rounded tour, not only including the UFO event, but a lot of the history of Roswell itself. Um, out of curiosity, about how big is Roswell? Close to 50,000. Oh, that's we're right big. at 50,000. That's a lot bigger than I was thinking, actually. And we're 200 miles from anywhere. We're right. 200 <laughs> miles from Albuquerque, El Paso. Uh, Lubbock, Texas is about 170 miles, so we're out here in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's crazy to find a population that large autonomously. It's an amazing town, really, when you get to looking around, and like on the tour when I show people, we have the world's largest cheese factory. Really? We're known as the dairy capital of southwest southeast New Mexico. Hmm. These these dairies here can milk between 2,100 and 5,000 cows a day. The cheese factory gets about a million gallons of milk a day. They produce 800,000 pounds of mozzarella cheese every day. I mean, these are the kind of things that people don't know about in this little town. Right. I, I really want to visit there. So, you know, some of these things that you're saying, how many of them you know, I realize that a lot of them are coming from um, witnesses who are mm-hmm. conveying it, but but how much of this is um, able to be proven through paperwork? Um, like like you brought up a an interesting one, um, the request for children's coffins. What was up with that? Yeah. Well, they never used them. We found out they put them in boxes and iced them down instead of using hermetically sealed children's coffins. But that's what the the, the mortician was called twice from the base, and he knew everybody out at the at the hospital because he had a contract with them as the funeral home. They did ambulance service and funerals for the military guys back then. So he had a 
airman injured in town in a motorcycle accident. They took him out to the base hospital. When he got out there, he hardly knew anybody. So he went inside and started asking questions. A six-foot-two red-headed captain grabbed him by the shoulder, turned him around, said, Glenn, if you go to town and spread rumors about the hospital, they'll find your bones out in the desert. That was a pretty heavy threat. Yeah, absolutely. Glenn looked at him. He said, you can go to hell. He said, I'm a civilian. You can't talk to me like that. The captain said, I'll talk to you any way I want, Glenn. You go to town and spread rumors, they'll never find you. Now, I spent two and a half years with Glenn Dennis at the museum. Mm-hmm. I talked to him every day. I also spent two and a half years at the museum with Walter Hart that wrote the press release saying we have flying saucer. I knew Jesse Marcel Jr., whose daddy was the top intelligence officer in the world, the first military guy to go out to the crash site. He came back that night, stopped at the house, and put some of the material on the kitchen table for his wife and son to see. The next day, he went to uh, Fort Worth, Texas, and Ramey, General Ramey had him posed with a weather balloon. He took the heat for the Roswell incident. When he came back home, he told his family, what you saw in the kitchen last night was another event. It didn't happen. So he was trying to protect the family. But these were guys who were involved. They were, they were here in 1947. It's not hearsay. And keep in the back of your mind, these were guys from the Atomic Bomb Group. The Atomic Bomb Group? Uh, you mean they're working... On the atomic bomb? I'm sorry? Uh, what do you mean by the atomic bomb group? These guys belong to the atomic bomb group of a station in Roswell that had dropped the bombs on Japan during the Second World oh, War. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, oh yeah. The, the... After they dropped the bombs on Japan, the 509th was located in Roswell. And they were here for a year or two, and then they went to England. And I don't know if you know it or not, but the 509th atomic bomb group has been reactivated. They're activated again. They're the B-2 stealth bomber stationed out of Whiteman Air Base in Missouri. So that elite group is back in existence again. You know, so over the years we've had um, a few astronauts actually come out and and say that they saw things. Are any of these witnesses um, who are speaking openly now or have spoken openly, are are any of them like top brass or, or anything like that? Well, Colonel Blanchard would have been the base commander. He was promoted to a five-star, a four-star general at the Pentagon, so it didn't hurt his career at all. Both Major Marcel and Marcel's son were majors. They were both promoted to light colonel before they got out. So to keep them quiet and help their retirement, they, they saw some promotions. Right. And I met Edgar Mitchell, the astronaut, the sixth man, sixth man on the moon. Yeah. All of 14. I had several conversations with him before he died. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant guy. And he grew up just south of Roswell. And I asked him one day, I said, what do you know about Roswell? He said, I can tell you it happened. I said, how do you know? He said, my folks knew the rancher. Mm -hmm. And he said, I was in the military with enough people that were involved that I can tell you it happened. Coming from Dr. Mitchell, I'll take that to the bank. Yeah. Absolutely. And like you said, some of the astronauts have talked about stuff that they've seen. A few of them have talked about while they were on the moon, they radioed Houston and said, we're not alone. Or they radioed and said, we're being watched. What was watching them? Yeah, I've caught a couple of those. Uh, We're coming up on our next uh, commercial break here. You're listening to the Truth Seeker of Roswell, Dennis Baltizer, here on Radio Wasteland. Don't forget, come on back. 
Radio Wasteland and our guest, the truth seeker of Roswell, Dennis Balthizer. So, um, Dennis, I really appreciate when I have guests on that, um, you know, I got into this because I was skeptical, but really interested. And I, you know, and I really enjoy when I have guests on that are really sort of nuts and bolts researchers. You know, they, they just want to kind of try to put the facts together. But you've been doing this for so long and putting these so many of these facts together, um, you know, I can't help but to ask you some speculative questions. Well, and, and that is, do you think that it was a government craft or do you think it was alien? Well, I think if it was, if it was a government craft, we've been in so many conflicts over the years, for the last 70 years, surely we would have, we would have used it by now because the advantage to the military would be amazing. The maneuverability things, the speed of them, and things like that that have been reported. I just don't believe it's ours, and I, I don't have any. I can't prove anything. I don't have a piece of metal. I don't have an alien I can show you. But I put my confidence in these guys that I met that were here, that were involved with it, that were top military people at the time at the atomic bomb group. So. The bottom line is something happened in Roswell 70 years ago that's still being covered up. And to me, that's the bottom line. And for me, I want to try to find the truth. I'm 76 years old. I probably won't live long enough to know the truth. I don't look for disclosure in my lifetime because of my age. But I really hope that young people will get the truth one way or the other. And I can go either way. If it turns out not to be aliens, that's fine. I'll go fishing. <laughs> I don't need this frustration. Right. But I think we've been lied to for 70 years. Well, this, this, you know, prompts the next speculative question, and that is, why do you think they're lying to us about it? I think it's control. Our government won't admit to anything they can't control. They can't do anything about it. If this has been going on as long as we think... I mean, I have, I've seen tapestries and artwork from the 14th century that the artist put what looks exactly like a UFO in the artwork. You go to the Bible, the book of Ezekiel talks about flying fiery wheels. So I think this has been going on for a long time, and our government won't admit to it. The reason you don't hear much about it from other governments is because the United States gives nearly every country in the world foreign aid. If they start talking, they can pull that foreign aid. So they have a control over this thing. And I think they've lied about Russell so long, they have themselves in the corner. Back then, panic would have been a real thing. Mm -hmm. You may be familiar with Orson Welles' War of the Worlds. Uh, of course, I listen to it at okay. least once a year. People commit a suicide over that radio show. They believed it. I don't believe that today. People are more educated today. I don't think panic would be a, a, a problem. I think it might be a problem for religions. It might be a problem for the financial world because it would change everything we know. But I really believe that it was extraterrestrial. So do you think that our government, and once again, for our listeners, this is all speculative at this point. You know, I don't want to put any of these beliefs yeah. on you because I, I totally respect your nuts and bolts oh, research. Um but do you think that our government has any involvement with them? Because you're saying that, that... Well, there's been a case where Eisenhower supposedly had a meeting with them out of Murak, which is uh, Edwards Air Force Base today, and made an agreement with them that if they could abduct people 
as long as they brought them back where they had found them and they had no memory of it in exchange for technology. And you look at the technology we developed in the last 50 years, where did that come from? I'm not saying it was E.T., but you have to really wonder where did we get all that technology so fast. I know the space program has had a lot to do with it, with all the, the new stuff we have. Our military is probably 20 years ahead of us on the calendar. We don't use anything in our daily life that the military hasn't already used. Right. Oh, yes, I don't doubt that. So, so you... You know, there's a lot of people out there who kind of feel like we're being slowly fed the idea that -hmm. there's life out there, this sort of concept of slow disclosure. I think that's true with movies and TV shows. They give you bits and pieces of information. Um, I really don't think they know how to disclose it because they don't. Who in our government is going to admit they've been lying for 70 years? That would be a political disaster to admit that. But I, I do think if you saw the movie Independence Day, when the president was at Area 51, he said, how long has this been here? That's probably a true statement. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that it's. I don't believe the presidents are in on it. The president doesn't have the security clearance or the need to know. And if you don't have a need to know, you're not going to find out. Yeah. What's the word? Uh, white ops when there's yeah. nothing to black out? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I, I definitely, you know. Of all the things that we like to cover on this show, the one thing that I am totally confident about is that somewhere out there, there is life. Well, I can't be egotistical enough to think we're the only thing in the universe. Yeah, I There, there has to be life out there somewhere. And you know, people are surprised I'm a Christian and uh, I'm Southern Baptist. And I'm of the opinion, if you believe God created everything, that's the end of the story. We don't know what's out there. I agree. I think it's weird that people find science and religion to be so mutually exclusive. They tie together. If you get down and down and into it, they, they really can tie together. The Catholics, the Vatican has one of the has probably one of the largest, if not the largest, UFO libraries in the world. It's under lock and key. You can't get in it. They've had an interest in space for since the 17th century. They have observatories at the Vatican since then. They own two telescopes I'm aware of, and a couple. The one at the Vatican was recently moved because light from Rome interfered with it. The other one is out there in Arizona on Mount Graham. That's a high-tech telescope that the Vatican owns. Hmm. A couple of years ago, one of the Monsignors went public and said he believes life exists out there. So the Catholics are into it. Yeah, it does seem kind of like a waste of space if God created this whole uh, universe and really just sort of plops yeah, life on this. Yeah, we're ground. on this little ball of mud, and that's all there is. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. So we're coming up onto the end of the show here. So can you tell our audience again um, about your tour and how they can get uh, in touch with you and find out more about you? Okay, the com. There's a website, and they've got all the information there. My website is truthseeker at com. That's all one word, truthseeker at roswell.com. I have about 80 editorials that I've written over the years about my research on Roswell, Area 51, underground bases, and I'm on the advisory board of the pyramids of Giza in Egypt. So there's a lot of information there if people are interested in it. Uh, what is that, the advisory board for the, the pyramids? Yeah, I was put on that in 2001, uh, mainly high-tech people from all over the world, but they wanted to 
put me on there in the event that there may be some ET involvement in the building of the pyramids, because I don't personally believe that the three pyramids of Giza or the Sphinx are Egyptian. I think they're much older than that, and we can't find any records on how the pyramids were built. That would be a whole other show. Yeah. Oh, yes, it would. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that right there is multiple shows because there is a lot back there, you know. But but it's really just quite amazing how Roswell has ingrained in our, itself in our society, and it's really just not going away. That's right. And you know, really, the government might as well you know fess up to what they know. And you know, do you find that the um, that the private space um, industry is a threat to any of this? The private industry? I don't think so. No, you think that they're bought and paid for? Well, probably to to a certain point, yeah. Well, you know, I had a lot of eggs in that in that basket, hoping that we would find out something from Elon Musk or some of this private industry. But I think you're probably right. Yeah. All right. Well, you've had some good questions. I really appreciate it. This has been a good interview. Oh, well, I appreciate it too. And many, I really many times I do interviews and they have no idea what they're talking about. And this was this one was good. Oh well, this is definitely one of my my many hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for being on the show. You've been listening to the Truth Seeker of Roswell, Dennis Balthizer, here on Radio Wasteland. Into 
get the shots. They injected them with tiny chanting nanobots. And when we hear your doggy box, she's singing along to the tiny marching army patriotic song. For short, she's not a terrier, she's a terrorist, she's the hairiest and the scariest in her court. Run the world to 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 run the world